Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host, Hayden Grove, and today is a special episode. Finally, the 2021-2022 NBA season is upon us. The Cleveland Cavaliers will start their season tonight, the night that we are recording this. Uh, We are recording this on a Wednesday morning. So, again, Cavaliers playing tonight, Wednesday, October 20th, against the Memphis Grizzlies. So the season is underway. And we've mentioned this before, but it's actually this calendar year, I believe, 2021, uh, it seems like there's been parts of three NBA seasons, which is crazy to think about. So it's not so much even finally, it's that here we go again. So to get us underway, to help us, you know, start this season off right, as always, I am joined by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Chris Fedor, who is in the ground in Memphis, where the Cavaliers will play again tonight, Wednesday, October 20th, against the Memphis Grizzlies. Chris? How is it going? It's going great, man. Um, it's this weird thing every time that I'm in Memphis, Hayden, that every time I walk around downtown and I go to dinner or I just walk to the arena, I just start singing, walking in Memphis. <laughs> I can't prevent myself from doing it. It's the most ridiculous thing ever. Oh, my God. So you really are just like the prototypical tourist. Like <laughs> you, and every, you and everyone else that are walking in Memphis are singing. Walking in Memphis. Yes, that's exactly right. And I was talking to somebody the other day about Memphis who knows Memphis very well. Uh, That would be Cavs head coach J.B. Bickerstaff, um, who spent a lot of time here in Memphis as both an assistant and a head coach. And he explained it really, really well. He said Memphis is uniquely Memphis. Mm -hmm. And that's true. You know, as I was walking around downtown last night, there was a distinct smell of, of, of marijuana and barbecue. So I don't know that you get that anywhere else. That's Memphis, <laughs> marijuana and barbecue. We love that. <laughs> Obviously, I'm a huge Elvis Presley fan. So Memphis sure. is a, uh, I've never been to Memphis. Oh, uh, okay. I've been to Nashville. I've been to Tennessee, but I've never been to Memphis. I'm going to have to get there at some point because yeah, man. obviously Elvis is a, you know, staple there in Graceland and uh, Sun Studios and all that good stuff. So yeah, and you got to walk on Beale Street at yes. least once. You have to. You have to, right? You got to walking, you know, you have to walk 10 feet off of Beale, right? What is it? What is it? Yes. I don't know. So that's the problem. I don't know the exact lyrics. So I avoided that part of it. So you just, you just know the one line? Well, no, I know the other lines too, but I don't know that I know them correctly. Does that make sense? Like it's in a way, it's sort of like LeBron when he lip syncs, it's not always accurate. 
but he has in his own mind what it is. So he just goes with it. Yes. Um, the It goes, walking in Mem- I'm walking in Memphis, was walking with my feet 10 feet off of Beale, walking in Memphis, but do I really feel the way I feel? And then the next line is, saw the oh. ghost of Elvis. So there you go. Followed him up, followed him up to the gates of Graceland. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. 10 feet? Uh, I guess I've always said it as feet and feet, which makes no sense whatsoever, but whatever. Feet 10 feet off of Beale. Oh, all right. So like, so like he's walking on air. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I get it. Pretty funny. <laughs> Anyways, we got to talk some basketball here. We could talk about um, uh, Mark Cohn's famous hit. Is it, well, that's got to be a one-hit wonder, right? I would think so. I haven't heard anything else. Yeah, he's he was nominated for a Grammy Award for Song of the Year, Best Male Pop Vocal Performance in 1991. Mark Cohn. Good for there him. There you go. Yeah. There you go. All right. Well, Cavaliers start their season in Memphis tonight, and Chris um, – the expectations for this Cavs team are they're all over the place in terms of like what the team believes, what fans believe, um, what Vegas believes, what Vegas believes. Right. So let's just start there. I mean, let's take a grand kind of look overview, uh, a, you know, from 360 feet over Beal um, at, uh, at what we're looking at here. I mean, the Cavs mentioned playoffs all the time. That's what the yeah. goal is. But you wrote the other day that, you know, they're a year early from the playoffs. So what are your kind of expectations for things as we go forward? Well, I, I think we start here, Hayden. Like, for me, it's very difficult to find a number that quantifies success. Now, that doesn't mean that winning games aren't important. It's just when you talk about taking steps forward as an organization and making progress as an organization – I think it's hard to say, okay, that's defined by 27 wins, or that's defined by 29 wins, or that's defined by 32 wins, or 36, which it will probably um, take just to get into the play-in tournament. Right. Um, So I think we have to be understanding that, yes, they need to win more games than they did last year, which was 22 in a 72-game season, which quantifies to 25 in an 82 game season. So they need, it starts there. It starts there. They need to win more games. Um, But at the same time, like success can also be defined by Darius Garland taking another step in his maturation, right? A lot of people inside and outside the organization feel like Darius um, is going to be one of the breakout players to watch this year. So can he live up to that? Can the offense become his? Can the team in the short term become his? Evan Mobley, does he show flashes that make you buy into his superstar potential? And can you see why the Cavs use the third overall pick on him? And Colin Sexton, um, does his his style that's very difficult at times to play alongside, can that finally translate more to winning than what we've seen in the first three games? Right. So, like, I think those kinds of things within the within the realm of they need to win more games than they have the past three seasons are very, very important to follow this season. Yeah, I think for me, you know, I think that when you're right, I think that the win total is, you know, you want it to be better than it was. But I think I just want to see some like this is going to sound so dumb. but like, I want to see something like I want to see something. I want to see. Oh, well, you narrowed it down. Where's yeah. your column on that? Yeah. yeah, I want to see something. I want to see. Like, I want to see all the things you said, like Darius Garland taking a leap, Evan Mobley, can he be a star? Like, 
Um, Colin Sexton get, getting better at playing alongside his teammates. And uh, Larry Markinen, can he, you know, put it together and be the three-point shooter that they brought him in to be? Can Kevin Love, you know, buy in and, and you know, be a productive member of the Cavaliers? I mean, there's – I just – all that stuff. That, to me, would quantify success is more than wins and losses. If they can keep – it sounds like a low bar for me, and I guess it is a low bar, but if they can maintain some sort of um, a fight, you know, yeah. and if they can be an interesting team and if they can, you know, win games they're not supposed to win and they can challenge teams and they can show market progress, then I'm okay with that. The win total is what it is. And here's the thing too, Hayden. I think this is going to sound really nerdy and it's going to sound really nuanced. Yeah. But I think that's how you have to view it when you're talking about a rebuilding team, a young rebuilding team that's trying to learn how to consistently win. Right. Like I think how they win and who impacts winning the most, I think that's pretty important too. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Because if you're like if you're winning games because of Ricky Rubio and Kevin Love, like that's great. And it shows these guys how to win. And it probably helps J.B. Bickerstaff and Kobe Altman keep their jobs. And it satisfies Chairman Dan Gilbert. And it allows them um, to make a rise up the standings. But, like, I don't know what you really, really learn about this group with those things happening. And that doesn't mean that they shouldn't play Kevin Love, right? And it doesn't mean that they shouldn't play Ricky Rubio. But I'm going to be looking at it in that kind of way as well. Right. It's almost like if they're winning games in spite of um, in spite of Colin Sexton, in spite of Darius Garland. Like, yeah. you know, if, you know, those guys aren't playing well and they win games, right. that's not really what you want to see. Yeah, I don't know that that's a great sign for their future. No, no, that's exactly right. Um, you've written about uh, and we've in kind of the Colin Sexton thing, I guess we can get into it right now because he's going into the season. Right. He's kind of the most polarizing player on this Cavs roster, maybe outside of Kevin Love mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, they got to the regular season and here he is hit without a contract. So he's going to be restricted free agent at the end of the season. What does that say about Colin? What does that say about the Cavaliers and the way they view Colin? You wrote that, yeah, they're going to, you know, they want to be together long term. Right. What does it say in the short term about their relationship? Yeah, so I think it says a lot, Hayden. Yeah. I think this is a complicated conversation. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out where the best place to start with this is. Mm-hmm. Um. I guess I'll start here. When you're talking about rookie scale contract extensions from everybody that I've talked to around the NBA that knows this better than me, that has gone through this more times than I have at this point in my career. Rookie scale contract extensions, Hayden, are very difficult when not discussing the max. Yeah. Because then they become really, really nuanced and then you talk about value and it's hard to assign a specific kind of monetary value to those guys. Like if it's a no brainer, Luca, Trey young, then you just say, all right, we're giving you the max. Everybody knows what the max is done deal. When it's not the max, then you start talking about, well, the agent and uh, the players camp sees a player one way and they have data that backs up why they're asking for what they're asking. And then you have the organization that says, no, we're comfortable with this. We see him this way, and here's why. And it's just harder in that sense to say, all right, like like Phoenix did with Mikel Bridges. 
all right, four years, $90 million. That's the way to satisfy everybody. Or with Atlanta and Kevin Herter, all right, four years and 65. You know, it's just hard to find that that accurate or what you perceive as accurate valuation. Um, so that's where I would start. Colin was not a no-brainer max guy, the way that Trey and Luca and even Shea Gilgis Alexander, some of those guys were. Right. Um, so unless it's a no-brainer guy, you're not getting the max. So then you have to ask yourself, okay, what is the number? And do you know how to quantify what Colin Sexton brings to the table? Do you no. know how to put a monetary value on that? I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. I talked to a lot of people around the NBA this offseason that were trying to figure that out as well. I think the truth is the Cavs don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. And there's another layer to this. Like, restricted free agency was put in place to protect teams like the Cavs. It is a huge benefit to a team like the Cavs. They're going to go into next offseason if Collins stays on the roster, if he finishes out the season with the Cavs, and they're going to have a ton of leverage in negotiations. Mm-hmm. There are four NBA teams that have that have projected cap space next offseason. Um, Detroit, San Antonio, I think Oklahoma City and Orlando. And okay. it's like the Cavs have to honestly ask themselves, all right, of those four teams, who's going to line up to give Colin Sexton whatever the number is? A right. big contract, a big multi-year contract. And if that team makes an offer in restricted free agency, are they going to make an offer that is so big that we're not going to match it? Right. That's why restricted free agency is in place. And right. the Cavs are always comfortable going into restricted free agency. They were comfortable going into it with Jared Allen. And mm -hmm. I think they're very comfortable in going into restricted free agency with Colin Sexton and allowing the market to do something that they're having a hard time doing, which is set his value, Are set you? his market price. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. It There's one more thing, too. Yeah. And I don't think this can be ignored. Right? So the way that the Cavs talked about Colin for the last three years, mm -hmm. people are going to say, like, how is it possible that they're going to talk about that kind of guy um, in that kind of way and then not turn around and give him a contract extension. Right. Um, the thing that I would say in response to that, Hayden, the status quo has changed here. Mm -hmm. The hierarchy of, of importance within the organization has changed here. And what I mean by that is this. Like three years ago, Colin was a bright light in this rebuild. Mm -hmm. He was the eighth overall pick. He was the centerpiece of the Kyrie Irving deal. Um, he had outperformed his draft slot. Um, and I think through three years, he's been very good. You can make an argument that, as we've talked about a number of times, Hayden, that's a hit for this organization with the eighth overall pick. That's a hit because there are only like a couple of different guys that you could even argue that the Cavs should have taken at eight instead of Colin. Those two being Michael Porter Jr. and Shea Gilsich Alexander. And I think there's a legitimate debate on those things. Mm -hmm. um, in saying that, Despite the fact that Colin has done everything that they've asked of him and more, and you can argue that he has outperformed his draft slot, the truth is 
there are guys in this organization that have been brought here after Colin that are more important um, to the team's success in the short term and the long term. Right. Evan Mobley, yeah. Darius Garland, even Lowry Markkinen. So three years ago, the Cavs didn't have those those guys, mm -hmm. right? And, and they certainly didn't have this version of Darius Garland that people are expecting to break out. Mm -hmm. Now that they have those guys, they have to be more honest about their importance versus somebody like Collins or their value versus somebody like Collins. And it right. doesn't mean that they don't like him and it doesn't mean that they don't value him. But these are the difficult business-related decisions that every franchise during a rebuild is going to have to make. Right. Yeah, it they, just so happens that Collins came up first. Right. I mean, yeah, he was the start of this whole thing, but now you've added some really, you know, some some pieces that you feel are going to be a little bit more um, detrimental to the winning process and, and important. Detrimental. To the, or not detrimental, important to the winning process. Yes. Um, and... For that reason, yeah, it makes sense that Colin is now kind of a different animal. He's a different piece of the puzzle than he was three years ago. And that you're right. I, I completely agree with everything you're saying. And that's why, you know, that's why their value is even more mixed. Because maybe maybe two years ago, yeah, they would have given him the max. But now, you know, they have other pieces. And Darius, again, is a big part of that. And Evan Mobley is a big part of that. And even, like you said, Larry Markinen. Right. Um I want to talk a little bit about Darius. What is it about Darius? I mean, I, you know, I think that he's shown flashes, but he seems to be kind of a consensus pick to have a really, really good season. I mean, is it just being more comfortable? Is it, you know, the ability to shoot from outside, just the, the confidence? I mean, what do you think specifically it is about Darius Garland that has people excited? Well, I think the first thing, Hayden, is the way that he played in year two. Yeah. Especially the way that he played down the stretch of year two. Mm-hmm. As a rookie, I was I was looking at him as the fifth overall pick, and there were circumstances attached to it, and the Cavs laid him out for everybody if they were willing to listen. Um, but as a rookie, I was like, oh, my God. Like, what? This guy was the fifth overall pick? He didn't look like it. He didn't play like it. He looked overmatched, completely overmatched as a rookie. Um there there was one writer, I think it was John Hollinger from The Athletic, that said the Cavs would have been better off thinking of Darius and Kevin Porter Jr. in different terms. And that was before all the stuff happened with KPJ. Look at KPJ as the fifth overall pick. Look at Darius as the 30th overall pick. And you'll probably be happier about that kind of haul. Um, and then Darius has a very good second season. He earned my third place vote for most improved player. I think he got three votes for most improved player. And then he was selected to Team USA select team. Mm -hmm. And then Larry Nance Jr. departed, um, leaving a void when it comes to leadership. And Darius looks like he's ready to step into that. So I think when you combine all of those things and just like his natural point guard ability, like the things that he brings to the table many of the top point guards in the NBA also have. Um, and it doesn't mean that he's a perfect player. He's not the most athletic guy, um, but he can shoot the lights out. He can finish around the rim. He has great vision. He's very, very deft at running the pick and roll. Um, those kinds of things translate to success. And now he has a backup point guard to help him out. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, like when Darius was off the court last year, Hayden, the Cavs had an offensive rating of 104.9, which if you extrapolate that over the entire season, it would have been 28th in the NBA because they just it was a point guard wasteland behind him. And it shows you the kind of impact that um, Darius can have and how the offense functions with somebody like him. Right. And I think I think that's a good sign when your offense functions that kind of way with Darius, somebody that you believe in strongly, somebody that you believe um, can absolutely be one of your foundation pieces, not the foundation piece. Right. That's Evan Mobley. Right. Um, but one of your foundation pieces. You wrote a piece recently um, about the Cavaliers, obviously, but you kind of assessing the, the title is Cleveland Cavaliers roster breakdown, assessing yeah. each player in their role. And I felt I feel like we could do like a little mini version of what you wrote. Like, OK, like assessing, like just kind of breaking, you know, each like you did just yeah. you know, not not completely again you don't have to do the full breakdown like you did and definitely go check it out cleveland.com slash calves the title of the piece is uh cleveland cavaliers roster breakdown assessing each player in their role and you'll find it on the cleveland.com page um where this podcast will be um uh posted so so we met we talked a little about darius garland and we talked about his kind of you know his role um yeah. colin Sexton. we talked a little bit about him um, I want to get to uh, Larry Markkinen. So you think that before the before I guess before the preseason, we were thinking that Larry Markkinen would not be a starting three, and all of a sudden that seems to not be the case. Well, we don't know yet. JB right. Bickerstaff hasn't said this for sure. He's very guarded when it comes to his lineup stuff. We ask him all the time. I asked him throughout preseason multiple times. Like, have you decided on your starters yet? Are you willing to reveal your starters yet? He's going to be asked probably tonight in Memphis before the He might be asked at shoot-around this morning. And then he'll probably be asked before the game in his preseason meeting uh, or his pregame meeting with reporters. And he's probably not going to say it because that's just the way that he is. Sure. Um, but the feel that I get around the organization and I'm trying to read tea leaves here, which sometimes can be hard to do. But the feeling that I get around the organization is that they're preparing that that Markinen's going to be the starting three. And um, three weeks ago, I don't know that this would have been the way that the Cavs would have gone. Right. But, you know, JP was really, really interested in seeing if Markinen could play the three. And I think there are domino effects to this. I think part of it is... You know, Isaac Okoro is not a great fit at the three next to ball-dominant guards Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. Mm -hmm. um, Kevin Love, for all the questions about him, is one of the ace, eight most important um, and potentially impactful players that the Cavs have on the roster. And it's easier to find consistent minutes for him if Markkanen is going to steal some at the three. Mm -hmm. Um and Markkanen brings a lot of the things that the Cavs need in a starting group. If if they're going to go with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, you need shooting and spacing around those guys to bring out the best in those guys. And and look, hey, J.D. Bickerstaff said from the very beginning of training camp, we're looking for the best combinations. We're looking for the best lineups. You know, spots are up for grabs, and it's going to be a lot about fit. Right. Isaac Okoro is not a great fit. Like, 
for him and for the Cavs, it's not a great fit with him in the starting lineup. Um, and and we had talked throughout the summer, like until there's a better option at the three, Isaac's going to be at the three. Well, I think J.B. Bickerstaff learned throughout training camp in the preseason and, and using this weird, unconventional lineup with Markinen at the three, hey, like even though there are questions about him too, he's, he might be a better option than Isaac for what we need out of that starting group. The shooting, the spacing, the scoring, um, the, the kind of pressure and kind of attention that he can take off Darius and Colin and Evan Mobley. Um, so to me, if I'm reading the tea leaves, because JB got comfortable with Markinen at the three, seeing it against other NBA caliber opponents throughout the preseason, um, my money is on him starting at the three and Isaac coming off the bench. So you mentioned Evan Mobley, um, and he's kind of the next player on the list. I mean, you write here that you said the one. He's the one. Yeah. <laughs> It's, that's that's a great way to put it that you know he's the supposed to be the the piece the the yes. really the unicorn and right. uh, you know so you so it looks like he's going to be starting alongside Markinen alongside um, Jared Allen uh, what do you expect from him this year what are your kind of what do you what is, what is the thought that when it comes to Evan Mobley yeah, this is going to sound weird okay but it's like I don't really care that much about his production provided he's making an impact and providing he's showing flashes of superstar potential. That's what matters most to me because I know historically young bigs um, take a longer time to develop Hayden. Mm -hmm. I also know that the Cavs aren't going to ask him um, to do as much as like maybe Houston's going to ask of Jalen Green or Detroit's going to ask of Kate Cunningham. He's right. not going to have that same kind of role. So I think it's, you know, protect the paint, block shots, alter shots, show the defensive switchability, um, be a better rebounder, um, you know, show off the, the, the guard-like skill set that he has on the offensive end, um, show that he's got the kind of jumper that can translate eventually to three-point range. Uh, take advantage of mismatches when you have them. Be an offensive hub and initiate and make things happen at that end of the floor. Um, the truth is, like, at the end of this year, Hayden, I do not believe that Mobley is going to look like the best player from this class. Right. But the Cavs did not draft him to be the best player from this rookie class in 21-22. They drafted him to be the best rookie from this class three to five years down the road seven to ten years down the road and i think i think he's got that kind of potential i just also think it's going to be harder for him to show that this year in the kind of role that he's going to have and the kind of game that he has right that makes a lot of sense um you look at him i think again i think i've mentioned this i mean i i kind of want to see that he's kind of a hub of this offense like that maybe he's not the one that's producing the numbers, but like he's helping other guys produce the numbers. He's like run the offense. He doesn't necessarily run the offense, but maybe the offense runs through him, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And I think at times that's going to happen. I think the Cavs have to tap into that potential that he has there because that's, that's how he's most comfortable, 
right? He's not most comfortable going to the block and, and playing with his back to the basket and going out and scoring like 20 to 25 points per night. Right. Um, he's a guy, and we've talked about this a number of times on the podcast, and, and I, I've written this a number of times um, on Cleveland.com. It's, it's going to be a case study to me of production versus impact. Yeah. And sometimes those things don't always align, but yeah. I think he's the kind of guy that's going to have a great impact on the Cavs, whatever success they have this year. I think he's going to have a great impact on that. He's going to make them better at both ends of the floor. And that may not always show up with, you know, 20 points and 10 rebounds per night or something like that. So the other guy, the other seven-footer, the third one, the Cavaliers employ, likely employ a roster of or a, a starting lineup of three seven-footers. I mean, that's the, it's not the tri, it's not the twin towers anymore. It's the triple towers. <laughs> and uh, Jared Allen is the final of those three. And I think Jared well, Allen. Jared will tell you that he is six foot eleven, not seven feet tall. <laughs> uh, well, fine, whatever. Close I mean, enough. I'll give him an. I'll get his hair gives him like extra seven inches. So, it sure does. So exactly. So he's seven foot for sure. The hair helps. Like honestly, like having that fro that high. I mean that, that gives him some extra length for sure. So um, I think his pretty. I think his role is pretty defined, right? I mean it's pretty, you know, as you write, rim runner, roller, lob threat on offense, and then anchor on the defense. Um, yeah. You know, shot blocker. I mean it's it's pretty defined. He's going to be a guy that snatches up the boards that helps the other guys offensively. Um, provides a really, really good defensive um, uh, defensive piece for the Cavaliers. It's again, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty defined for Jared Allen, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think it's pretty obvious too. He's going to play, you know, thirty to thirty-two minutes per night. Um, they like him at the five next to Mobley because he's more physically mature than Mobley at this point in time. And if you started Mobley at the five, hypothetically. Like, it's just asking for trouble. He's not ready for the majority of his minutes to be at the five. This allows the Cavs to play Mobley at the four, develop him, avoid the kind of physical contact, the banging that he's going to get underneath. Um, And then, you know, not a ton of teams around the NBA, Hayden, have, like, um, two burly seven-footers. Yeah. So whoever it is that comes off the bench for these teams, that's when the Cavs can start sprinkling Mobley at the five in there. And then he can serve as, yes, the starting four next to Jared Allen, but also the de facto five based on, you know, the other looks that the the other team provides. Um, Moving on, we got Ricky Rubio, um, who is a huge, I think, a very integral part of this Cavs team. Yeah. Cavaliers have really not had, I mean, you know, God bless Matthew Dellavedova. He was not the same player in 2020, right. 2021 that he was in 2016. Um, and I think the Cavaliers certainly hurt because of that. They, they they needed a better presence. And here comes Ricky Rubio, who not only seems to be instrumental, you know, as a backup point guard, but also seems to be productive and seems to be able to, to run this offense well when, you know, when the younger guys are on the court. I think the best way to say it is that, He's a starting caliber point guard masquerading as a backup. Yeah. He wouldn't start on every team in the NBA at point guard, but he would start on some. Yeah. He's not starting on this team because of Darius Garland, but Rubio is going to play starters minutes. Rubio is 
going to be very difficult for J.P. Bickerstaff to take off the court because the the offense, maybe even more so than Darius Garland, because Darius is is still, despite all the things that we saw last year um, and despite all the expectations for him this year, he's still at a different level um, than Ricky Rubio. Like Ricky Rubio is more seasoned. He has a better grasp of what it takes to be consistently successful um, at the NBA level. And that's something that all young players have to strive for is consistency. And Hayden, that can be the hardest thing. So there may be times throughout the course of the year that the offense looks and functions better with Rubio because of that experience. Right. Because, you know, he's he's seen more than Darius has at this point in his career. So because of that, I think it's going to be hard for J.P. Bickerstaff to take um, Rubio off the court. And my prediction is, if not the opener against Memphis, but before long, he is going to be closing games for either Darius Garland or Colin Sexton. All right. Probably Colin Sexton, depending on what the Cavs need in that situation of the game. But if you're J.P. Bickerstaff and you're looking at it saying, like, we have to win this game, Rubio, more times than not, is going to be a better route to them. There you go. That's a, that's a bold prediction. I like that. I like that a lot. Just full of uh, bold predictions today, Hayden. You know me. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Love is next on the list. And, you know, we, we, we came into the preseason saying, man, you know, what's, what's going to happen here? We don't know. And all of a sudden, you know, Kevin Love comes in the preseason, plays well, is healthy, yes. productive. Well, and and you know that's exactly what the Cavaliers wanted to see, and now he's got to find a way. He's, they're going to find a way to get him on the court. So Kevin, yeah. Love, I mean, his role is definitely going to be bigger than maybe we thought it was going to be at the beginning of the season. And you can see the chemistry between him and Rubio. Yeah. Those two guys coming off the bench is going to be very good for the Cavs. I think they're going to play a lot together. Um, pick and pops, three pointers. That's Kevin. Yeah, At this stage of his career, that's Kevin. And every now and then, as he showed throughout the preseason, yes, he can take a small in the post. Yes, he still has that kind of skill set. Um, he's going to get, you know, between, I would say, near 20 minutes a night. I, I think that's probably more available today with this idea that I believe Markinen's going to start at the three. Um, that gives more minutes a night for Kevin. I don't think he's going to play all 82 games. I think they're going to be really cognizant of of how much they use him. Um, whether he plays these back-to-backs or three games in four nights or whatever the case may be, because the Cavs recognize, Hayden, that you know for Kevin to be his most effective and impactful, they're going to have to manage him throughout the course of the season. And he can't be a 30-minute-a-night type player. And that's right. okay. They don't need him to be a 30-minute-a-night type player because Mobley's going to be that type of player, because Lowry Markinen's going to be that type of player. So as long as Kevin can stay happy and healthy, um, engaged, and um, as long as you know the losses that could come early on in the season with this team because of a brutal schedule— as long as he can allow himself to mentally get through those kinds of things and accept this role coming off the bench, as it looks like he has, he can definitely still be an asset for this team. Not the same, not the same kind of asset that he could have been 
you know, three years ago, two years ago. Um, but he can be an asset for this team. With Kevin, I mean, do you think it's a situation in which he would start off well and then just kind of, I mean, it, could it be that he, um, you know, he starts he starts well and is productive and then as they start losing games, becomes more as disgruntled? I mean, or... Sure. That's I mean, possible. We've seen it before, right? Yes. <laughs> You know, losing losing is hard, Aiden, to begin with. Um, but losing is also harder when there are expectations coming in. That's true. So, do you think because he had because the Cavaliers, you know, they have expectations for sure? But I don't know. I I guess my I guess my real question here is like, do you believe Kevin's bought in like a hundred percent, or is this a situation where you know he, he's just Glad to be back in the court, and then this could, you know, fall apart quickly. We're having this conversation on October 20th, right? Right. <clears throat> I feel in many ways we had this conversation about Kevin Love last year. Yeah. So he's got to prove it. Yeah. Um, it's easy to be bought in now. It's easy to have a positive attitude right now. Yeah. It's easy to show leadership right now. You haven't lost a game. This is the right. time of year where everybody's optimistic and everybody's feeling great about what they accomplished in the preseason. Kevin's no exception to that. But let's see if we have this same kind of conversation middle of November, late November, after a grueling beginning to the Cavs schedule where 11 of the first 12 are against play-in teams from last year, eight of the first 11 are on the road. There's a really difficult road trip at the very beginning to the West Coast. We'll see. I don't... I don't know that I can give him the benefit of the doubt because I think he's lost the benefit of the doubt. That's fair. That's very fair. Um, I'm, in, I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued. I think Kevin may be the most intriguing part, or not the most intriguing part, but he's just, he's certainly an intriguing part of this Cavaliers team. And if he can be productive, that's certainly, and he can, you know, maintain that sense of desire, um, then that could be big. That could be big for sure. Um, we move on to Isaac Okoro, and Isaac Okoro, like you mentioned, you know, not a great fit alongside the guys that he was starting with, but can definitely bring a defensive presence off the bench. He sure can, and I think this kind of role could be best for the development of Isaac Okoro as well. Um, you know, J.B. Bickerstaff talked about it throughout preseason, Hayden, that Isaac grew up with the ball in his hands in that kind of role. And there's just not a lot of room for him to grow offensively if if he was going to be surrounded by Darius and Colin. Um, there are also people inside the organization, Hayden, that believe that Isaac's um, best long-term spot is the two, not the three. So we'll okay. see. That has to play itself out. We need more information on that before we can make that determination. But um, one of the things that they're looking for from Isaac is is to grow offensively and i think this kind of role um, with this kind of usage can give him uh, that kind of potential to grow so we'll see um and i also think it could be fluid like i was told by multiple people that there was an internal debate going into the opener about who should start next to darius in the backcourt isaac or colin and they bring different things. So it was about style. It was about fit. I think, again, we don't know this for sure. I think it's going to be Sexton. I think he's too hard to pull out of that starting lineup. 
And in that case, with me expecting Markinen to also start at the three, you know, there's no spot for Isaac in that starting lineup. So he comes off the bench and he gets maybe a higher usage offensive role than than what he would get in the starting lineup. But I think it's going to be fluid. And I think there's a chance, um, not right away, but I think there's a chance that that Isaac could work his way into that starting lineup and, and Sexton comes off the bench at points this season. We'll see. That would be super interesting for a lot of reasons, yeah. right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, given the contract situation, given a lot, I mean, that would be very interesting. Um, it would kind of, I mean, but, but a lot of people in said, I think even you have said it, you know, a lot of people believe that Colin's best role is kind of that fire starter off the bench. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a weird thing, Hayden, because if you look up and down this roster, every decision that J.B. Bickerstaff, well, not every, that's not the right way to put it. A majority of the lineup decisions that he's going to have to make are an either or. Right. If you go with Isaac, you know what you're getting defensively but there are legitimate questions about his offensive impact and whether the the court is going to be more condensed because teams don't honor his three-point shot. Um, If you're going to go with Colin, um, it's obviously you're getting a big boost offensively, even though stylistically he can be difficult to play with at times. And then defensively, with him next to Darius, there are legitimate limitations that that you have as a unit not just those two guys together but as a five-man unit so you're trying to balance offense and defense and you're trying to look for fit but a lot of these decisions and and it's not just those guys right it it could be you could say the same thing about marketing he's not the greatest defender i think the Cavs feel good enough about him as a defender um but you know, he's more of an offensive-minded guy. That's his reputation than defense. Right. Um, you can say the same thing about Kevin Love. You know you're not going to him for defense, but he spaces the floor and he can knock down shots. And you could probably say the same thing about Dylan Windler. So there's there's a give and take for J.B. Bickerstaff when it comes to balancing offense and defense. And, and I think that's one of the things that makes a lot of these decisions really, really complex. For sure. For sure. Um, we move on next to uh, Shetty Osman, who uh, last season was just awful. Yes, awful. And uh, I, I, I wouldn't have much confidence in him to be better, but that may not be the case. The Cavaliers probably have a lot more confidence than I do, um, just given that, you know, they were working with him and he's you know, they, they seem to believe that maybe this year is a bounce back year for him. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. that's about where we're at (laughs) yeah we'll We'll see see. (laughs) i mean if you're talking about his spot in the rotation it's very much undetermined i I think dylan windler being hurt dealing with a hip injury helps jetty here um especially early on in the season but that spot is is far from solidified right and if jetty does continue to have that spot the view of him is the eighth or ninth or even 10th man in the rotation. So we'll see. Yeah. And we will definitely see. And you can say that about the rest of the guys. Yeah. JB Bickerstaff has already committed to a a nine man rotation for sure. It may expand to 10. 
uh, based on certain matchups. That 10th guy may be a specialist. So I think the top eight are easy to understand. And then nine is some kind of combination of Windler, if he can stay healthy, Jetty, um, who is the most quote unquote known, uh, especially at the beginning of the season. There's, I guess, a little bit more comfort with him than Dean Wade or Lamar Stevens or Dylan Windler. But, you know, the other guys are just going to be fighting for minutes all season long. It's a long season. It's 82 games. You know, things are going to happen. The Cavs used how many different point guards last year? How many different lineup combinations? Right. But at the outset, the eight are obvious, and the nine is probably going to be some kind of rotation. So then you got, like you said, yeah. So Dylan Windler, Dean Wade, Lamar Stevens, Kevin Pangos, um, Bill Valentine, Ed Davis. Uh, I mean, those are the guys that um, Taco Fall, RJ Nemhard. I mean, they're those are the guys that are going to be there, going to help, but not you're not going to see a ton of production. Right. Ed Davis, especially kind of like a, a player coach at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, he's he's the Cavs version of Udonis Haslam. There you go. We like that. We like mm-hmm. that. Um, Taco Fall. I mean, no. amazing. Love him. <laughs> love, love him. <laughs> no. Yes. Get up some Cleveland Charge games. I will be at the Wolstein Center. You bet your bottom dollar. I'll, I'll there you go. Um, no, I, I understand he's not going to be a, a, role, a role player, but certainly um, fun to watch, fan favorite, definitely on that one. Yep. Um, all right, so we went. So there the, we are. We went through most of the players, right? And that's a big deal. So I want to finish out the podcast with yeah. some predictions. Some predictions. Yeah. That's you know, it, it's one of the dumbest things we do as sports journalists <laughs> because like we often look so dumb and wrong when it's not our sure. fault, but. Um, it's also fun, you know, yeah. it's fun. It's a fun thing to do. So let's see who is your going to be your Cavaliers MVP this year. Oh, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Came hot, came in hot. <laughs> There's part of me that wants to say Rubio. Love that. Love that answer. That's a really good answer. Yeah. I, I think the impact of him is going to be in some ways unquantifiable. So I'll, I'll say Rubio with Garland a close second. Right. All right. I like How that. How about you? I'm going to go with Ricky Rubio. Oh, I'm come on. Ricky Rubio. Were you I, really going to say Rubio before yeah. I did? Yeah. Okay. I was. Right. I mean, gonna, I, he's going. Okay. I'll go instead of MVP, which literally means most valuable player, I'll go with best player and I'll go with Darius Garland. I mean, all right. That's what I'll. That's what I'll do. Well, you can't change the parameters on me just to pick a different answer. Well, I want. Well, I, I don't want to. You. You said really you were gonna. No, Rubio. that's okay. That's okay. I'll make you go first from now on. Okay, <laughs> um, best. Uh, let's. Uh, let's see. Um, you said we went. Let's do most improved. Oh, are you going first or am I going I'll first? I'll go first. I'll go All first. Right. I'm gonna go with Larry Markinen. All right. I think he, he just needed a change of scenery. I think he's going to be a much better three-point shooter. I think he's going to kind of find his stride. Okay. I'm going to duck after saying this. I'm going Kevin Love. Yeah. Let's go. They got nothing from Kevin last year. That's nothing. Okay. I love to see. You're, you're two over two. That's a great answer. Love that. I think in the words of you... 
I think they're going to get something from Kevin this year. So that would that would definitely be yeah. most improved. I love that. Um, biggest surprise. It can be the same as is most improved. I think I think Jared Allen is going to surprise people this year. Okay, with his, think, with his numbers or with just his play. Well, I think people look at him as somewhat of an offensive liability, and I think he's going to show that he's got more. More in there offensively than people think, and I think the Cavs are going to be able to pull it out of them. All right, I like that. Um, I'm going to go with. Hmm. I'm going to go with Kevin Love because Ooh. because you know I don't think people are expecting much, and I think he's going to be better than people give him credit for. All right. So I'll, I'll kind of go with your most improved with my surprise player. Um, biggest disappointment. That's a tough one. Biggest disappointment. Uh, <laughs> This is a tough one because, like, I mean, yeah, I don't think in general he's going to be a disappointment, but like, I've got concerns about Dylan Windler. Okay. I think he can be an asset. I think there's a place for him. It's opening night here in Memphis, and he's already dealing with a hip injury. So this is a make-or-break season for him. He knows it. It's not off to the best start. But if he can stay healthy, like, I think he can be a surprise. So it's a really, really hard thing for me to say. But I'll go with him. All right. Um, I'm going to go with Colin Sexton. Okay. And, and I just think that, I think that you know, the numbers are going to decrease a little bit. I think his role is going to decrease a little bit. I think going into the restricted free agency, there's going to be a little frustration. I mean, I just think that it's not trending up in his direction. Okay. So I'm going to say that's going to be my biggest disappointment. Um, what is going to be the record at the end of the season? Yeah, so this being the last one. Um, yeah. This. <laughs> so Vegas set it at 26 and a half. I think that's a great number. Yeah. I had them in my prediction, and I'm sticking with it, 27 and 55. Okay. Improvement over last year's win-loss record. Steps in the right direction. I think we're going to see that the future is bright. But look, the average age of what I project to be the starting five is under 22 years old. Six of the eight top players that they're going to be relying on most throughout this season are 24 or under. Hayden, that's a lot of youth. Yeah. Youth doesn't often win in the NBA. Right. And I think Kevin's, if he can stay healthy, and if he can stay engaged, I think he's going to help stabilize them. Ricky, we already talked about the kind of role that he can have. But, but like, those aren't Chris Paul-level difference makers. You know, those aren't Julius Randle-level difference makers. 
Yes, they're veterans. Yes, they know how to win. Yes, they know how to play. Yes, they're going to help. But they're not upper echelon in terms of talent. And upper echelon in terms of talent, that's how you make the biggest dent in a win column. Right. So I just keep saying as much young talent as they have that's promising and exciting for the future, I just don't think this is the year that they make the dent in the win column. Right. I would agree. I would agree. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to half that. I also think the schedule is ridiculously brutal at the beginning of the year and it's going to test their morale like crazy. I'm going to half that. I'm going to go with 26. All right. 26. Um, so I'll take the half. Um, so I'll go 26 and 56. Um, and we'll be, well, at the end of the year, uh, the, the last game of the season, or the last <laughs> couple of games of the season, we'll be looking back and be like, either it's a massive success and they're way above us, or just <laughs> one where below us. But yep. other than that, you know, I guess we'll see. Yeah. I'm. I, I think that. I think again. I think the most important thing that I want to take away from this is is just that for the Cavaliers, and I know it stinks, and fans don't want to hear it, and I get it. I get that they want wins, right? They want wins. They want success. But like, I don't think this Cavaliers season can be determined as a success or a failure based on their wins and losses. Like, obviously that helps, you know. But if if there are a lot of good things happening for the Cavaliers and they're not, you know, necessarily winning games. Like if there's, if there's improvement or if there's, you know, great play from Darius Garland and Evan Mobley seems to be a great pick and, you know, you get production from Ricky Rubio, Kevin Love and, you know, Larry Markinen seems to turn it around. I mean, all those things could really make the season successful, even if the wins aren't there. And I know that's not what the fans want to hear. Trust me. I get it. I yeah. get that. But I mean, for me, that's going to be the mark. I'm with you there. We said it at the very beginning of the podcast. I don't think it's the sole mark. The bottom line is, though, they have to win more games than they did last year. All right. Well, Chris, enjoy the game in Memphis tonight. Uh, We will be watching, getting ready for uh, the home opener on Friday at uh, Fieldhouse. So exciting times. Finally, fans kind of allowed back in the building, and it should be a lot of fun to actually, um, you know, see some real basketball with some real fans here. For the 2021-2022 season. Um, Safe travels back from Memphis. Keep your feet 10 feet off of Beal, okay? (laughs) Yep, I'm going to go walking in Memphis. All right, keep on going walking in Memphis. Thank you, (laughs) everybody, for listening, and be sure to to check out the um, cleveland.com slash Cavs and check out Chris's subtext. Again, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. All you have to do is go to cleveland.com slash Cavs, click on the blue banner, and go from there. You can enter your phone number, and you will get text analysis insight straight from Mr. Chris Fewer, Cavaliers beat reporter for cleveland.com. So what better time to do it than the start of the 2021-2022 Cavaliers season? Do it now, cleveland.com slash Cavs. Click on the blue banner and sign up for Chris's subtext. In the meantime, enjoy the game tonight. We will talk to you soon. Take care.